Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. So just a recap of our series, we're calling this um, Unentitled. We're going to walk through 1 Corinthians, and the tagline for this series is Finding Freedom in the Shadow of the Cross. And so as we look at Corinthians, Paul is writing to this group of believers, and he brings up issues or questions that they have, and then he answers those questions with the gospel. And we find freedom in the shadow of the cross. And this idea of unentitled. In Corinthians, Paul talks about how we are not our own, that we don't deserve these things, but we were bought with a price by Christ. And so that's where we're going. We're kind of framing all of our messages through Corinthians on that. So remember, um, just a few days ago, we were in Forum Hall. Robbie talked about Corinth, this really prosperous city, and how they were fiercely independent. The Corinthians were, were wealthy, they were proud, and that independent spirit, what we're going to see tonight, was fracturing the unity in their church. And so Paul pleads with them right out of the gate, and we're going to read like the first words that he starts writing them after the, the thanksgiving and the prayer. And he just pleads with them to be unified. So he's going to define the problem. This is what he does. We're going to see this throughout Corinthians. Paul will define the problem and then answer the problem with the gospel. So open your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Pull out your phone. Let's look at our Bibles together. We're going to start in verse 10. Paul writes this, this is the first, first words, the first things on his heart after the, the introduction. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. What a relevant verse, right? If we could just rewind to 2020 and like all believers got around this verse and just said, this is how we're going to live through this thing. That would be so beautiful. So just look there right in verse 10. He appeals to them by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's emotional. The appeal is an emotional word. He's beseeching them, if you will. He's bringing it to the surface, what they're going through. So what they were going through, there were these power struggles, pride, comparison, posturing, trying to gain the upper hand socially. The Corinthian culture was independent, self-sufficient. They loved freedom and autonomy because they were freed men, right? Remember Robbie talked about that, their history? So they're really proud of being freed men. Sounds really familiar, right? to American history and our culture. We're really proud of our freedom. They were also very success-oriented. They were competitive. They were driven. And they struggled with a sense of self-promotion. Listen to this quote from Ben Witherington as he describes the culture in Corinth. This is what Witherington says. He says, in Paul's time, many in Corinth were already suffering from a self-made person escapes humble origins syndrome. And again, that, that feels like the American dream, right? There's just so many similarities in the context of this letter and where we're living today. So let's keep reading there in verse 11. So Paul's pleading with them 
to be unified. And here we're going to see the background story of what their division kind of looked like. It's really fascinating. Let's read it together. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or, this is my favorite, I follow Christ. I've got this down. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. People in Corinth were preoccupied with social status, how they were seen by others, where they fit. And so then they were using this identification. They were like identifying with these different powerful leaders like Paul and Apollos or Cephas. That's, um, that's Peter. And so they were trying to like attach themselves to famous people, right? We are so fascinated by famous people, aren't we? They were using people for their own status. I think we can do that today. We can do that even on campus. We can kind of attach ourselves. We can be like, well, I go to Christian Challenge, right? And this like, this campus ministry competition thing, we can do that. We can try to like prop ourselves up by saying who we're associated with. Or maybe we can even do it with like, well, I'm a leader at Challenge, I got one of those cool blue t-shirts. I'm big stuff. Or we could say, well, I, I meet with this staff member. So, I mean, I'm really on the in, right? And we can try to find our worth in that, try to define our worth in who we are associated with. Or sometimes we do this with the things that we have done, right? So we'd maybe take pride and be like, I, I went overseas on a mission trip this summer. What'd you do? You probably just earned money, right? That's what we're thinking in our hearts, like looking down on people. Or we could be like, I worked at camp this summer. I gave up my summer and worked with, with kids. Those things are fine, right? Going to challenge is good. Being a leader is good. But what the problem is, is when we take our Christian involvement or what we've done or who we know in the church and we try to like make ourselves look better, by that, and then we compare and, and judge other people and try to prop ourselves up. It's something we totally do. Something we totally do. You know what this is? This is pride. It's just putting ourselves at the center of the story. And there is no room for pride in the shadow of the cross. And so, division, Paul defines the problem. It's division, but really what's under that is pride, and he's coming at it. If you look back, let's put verse 17 back on the screen, that, that verse. He's going to transition right there, and he's saying the gospel, and it's not with wisdom, these eloquent words, lest the cross, the cross is what's on his heart, be emptied of its power. 
And so as we move into the next paragraph, I just want to call you, lean in here. Get ready, open your heart, think about your own life. We all need our pride to be destroyed by the cross. And so as I've been like working through this passage and praying for tonight and thinking about all of you, this is what's been on my heart, that the cross would become more personal to you. And that that following Christ wouldn't be something that you use for your own means, for your own end, but it'd be something that defines you because of the cross. All right, here we go. Verse 18. This is uh, amazing. This verse is amazing. So lean in. Paul continues. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Man, that's an awesome paragraph, right? I just encourage you to to go home and read that paragraph multiple times. Some amazing stuff. I wish I could walk through it in great detail, but we're going to fly a little bit here. Um, There's a lot going on. So first of all, in verse 18, the word of the cross, that's how he starts. And that idea there is the meaning of the cross or the message of the cross. He says that it's folly to those who are perishing. The cross was so offensive in the first century. The cross was a torture device, and so it was an executioner's device, but also an intentional torture device. And it was a public torture of the worst kind. People that were crucified would hang naked in public for days as they died in front of everyone. They were often put next to major intersections, so that everyone could see, this is what happens to you when you try to oppose Rome. And the nails that they put in the wrists, that's, that actually kept you alive because you would push yourself up to breathe. Every breath, you had to, to endure excruciating pain. And so if, just imagine growing up and walking on the major intersections and seeing people of your own people group crucified in public. It's just normal to you. And the screams and the things that they would say, just the vile things that would come out of their mouths. I mean, can you imagine, just think about Manhattan, the entrance to Aggieville, Anderson in Manhattan. Can you imagine if the police kind of organized there and they took a criminal there and they, they just publicly executed them and tortured them for days? I mean, it's inhuman. It's awful. No one loved the cross. No one wore the cross as jewelry. In fact, in Rome, the word cross was a curse word. 
Romans could not believe that Christians worshipped a crucified man. It made no sense to them. It was utter stupidity in the first century. And so that's what this word in verse 18, he says it's folly. The Greek word there is moria, which we get our, our word for moron from this word in verse 18. The cross was moronic. It was idiotic. It was utterly foolish. I've got a picture of graffiti from first century Rome. Let me just walk you through this picture. Um, this was an etching that's been found. And so this is a man um, shown worshiping a donkey on a cross. And what the, the graffiti says, the inscription there says, is Alexamenos worships his God. This was the Roman sentiment of Christianity. How could you worship a crucified man? It's just utter foolishness. Roman culture valued wisdom and eloquent speech, philosophy and human cunning. They wanted to sound intelligent, to present themselves as powerful, influential, and well-versed. And the cross was none of those things. It was the lowest of the low. And then to the Jews of, of that day, the cross was a sign of being cursed by God. To hang on a, on a tree was to be cursed and they envisioned a Messiah coming, the Jews, that would actually overthrow Rome and just be this powerful leader, this powerful military leader. They didn't envision someone who would come and be crucified. That's like the, the weakest thing you could do if you're going to overthrow Rome. The cross was a symbol of oppression. And Jesus hung on that cross. And so to the Jews, it was weakness. It offended everybody. And the gospel's like that today, isn't it? There's a lot of people on our campus, if you invite them to a Christian event or you identify with Christ at all, they'll want nothing to do with you. Today in our culture, Christians are seen as narrow-minded, hateful, ignorant, intolerant, and even abusive. Our culture, in its pride, says we can solve the world's problems through human ingenuity, we can solve the world's problems. Just give us the right amount of money, right? We'll solve it. We'll solve it through the right programs or through education. We are the answer. But the cross, it calls us to have faith in something, not ourselves, in Jesus' death in our place. And it's, it's, a, it's a weak message because it makes us be humble, Right? We have to admit our weakness. And weakness in today's culture doesn't really go very far. So I want to pause right here as we've been talking about um, pride and the cross. And I just want to ask you to, to consider your own life and your story and your faith and your relationship with God and what you think about Jesus. Has the cross become personal for you? Has it become personal? Have you come to Christ and the cross with your real, tangible sin, your mess, your mistakes, and have you experienced the forgiveness that Jesus offers? I want to tell you my story a little bit just to kind of illustrate the, the cross and the personal nature of it. 
Um, so like I said, I was raised um, a missionary kid. So I grew up in Africa, first in Zambia. When I was like one year old, my parents took me to the middle of nowhere, Zambia, this tiny little town. And um, then when I was nine, I moved to Nairobi, Kenya, which is kind of like the New York City of, of Africa, one of them at least. Lots of international people. It's like five and a half million people. Um, there's a slum in Nairobi that's two million people now. I took my kids there two years ago. And so, I mean, that's like way more people than live in Kansas. They live in this really small shanty town in, in Nairobi called Kibera. And so I, I grew up there and I grew up around a lot of people that love Jesus, a lot of missionaries. My parents were great examples of people that loved Christ. And, um, but you know what? I was really proud and really cynical. And I thought I knew everything. This is kind of a typical teenage thing to do. I thought I knew everything and that everyone else was just an idiot. And I was very cynical of, of Christian missionaries. So I remember just like my friends, we'd sit around at lunch and we'd just kind of laugh and judge the missionaries that, that were around us. And we'd, we were just, we'd tear them down. I was so self-centered. My life was for myself. And any kind of Christian association that I had was just for me. It was just for me. I burned through girlfriends. I was a jerk to people in my school. I was such a deceptive person. I would lie to my parents, to my girlfriends, to my, to my friends. I just would present myself as a different person in every situation. And all the while, I would cynically judge other people. And I would always point the finger and be like, those people are fake. And so when I came to K-State from Nairobi, I knew nobody here, and I started being around Christian Challenge. And I remember my, my freshman year, the life group leaders that I had, I judged them so hard. I thought, these guys are, are totally fake. They don't know what they're doing. And I was just so arrogant. It's just who I was. So then, um, we do this thing at Challenge where we send teams of students overseas to do missions. And I decided that that would give me a nice bump in my social standing around here. So I absolutely did just what the Corinthians did. And I applied to go on one of those trips my freshman year. And I'm really good at knowing the right answers and I can pull off the interview and whatever. So I got placed on a team. But all of it was just because I didn't want to go to Wichita and live with my aunt and work at Burger King. I wanted to do something cool like go to East Asia and, and look cool to the challenge people. So that's why I did it. And so I end up on one of these teams, a total phony, not really believing, not really walking with Jesus. And our job is to, to like meet people and share the gospel with people. And it was about six weeks into that eight-week trip, I started reading my Bible for like the first time for myself. And as I read the scripture, the Holy Spirit began to convict me of all of this self-centered living and of my lying, especially to my team, because I was living life with them and just keeping up this facade. And it was pretty intense. I remember one time I was reading the scriptures and it just was, I think it was in, in the Proverbs and it talked about how the Lord detests lying lips. 
And I just knew the Holy Spirit was like putting his finger on my sin and I just knew like, that's me. And I was sitting in my dorm room in Asia and I just closed my Bible and I threw it across the room. It was like it was dangerous to me. Like, I don't want to read this anymore. And so there's this like building conviction going on in my life. And then one lunchtime, my team, there's like seven others on my team, they went to lunch and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, don't go. That seems kind of weird. So I didn't go. And I went up on this flat roof of this university and I started reading the Gospel of John. That's where I was reading then. And I got to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And I mean, I'm a missionary kid. Like I grew up hearing about this my whole life. But all of a sudden, just all of this junk, all of this lying and self-centeredness and being just so mean to people and using people, all of this collided with the cross for the first time. And it was a, a real moment. I felt like Jesus was on that roof with me. I felt like he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Nate, I died for you because you're a liar. And it's just a collision of my sin and my junk and my mess with the grace and the love of God. And I felt seen and exposed, and I was terrified, but I felt loved at the exact same moment, and I felt accepted and welcomed into God's family. And I believe that's the moment when I became a believer. And I came down from that roof, and I grabbed my team leader. He was a, a fifth-year engineering student, just solid, solid dude. And I grabbed him, and I just, like, word vomited my whole life to him. I never told anybody any of these things, and just like, here's how fake I was, here's what I've been doing, here's what I've been thinking. And let me tell you, the effect on my life was immense. Like my pride died that day. You know, I gotta keep confessing sin, but the, the cross humbled me. It made me realize how weak I was, how dependent on Christ I was. And I became far less judgmental this is what Paul means there in verse 19 when he says that God, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I feel like God destroyed me that day, but in a loving, beautiful way. And so humility is found in the shadow of the cross and freedom is found. I didn't have to fake it anymore. I could just be who I was and admit who I was. And it was this beautiful moment. This beautiful moment. Okay, let's keep reading. I love what Paul does next. This last paragraph we're going to look at is really, really awesome. It's like the best like backhanded compliment that, that I've seen in a while. So lean in. Let's read this, verse 26. Paul's talking about the cross, and then he turns it on them, the Corinthians. And here's what he does. Listen to this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Did you see that? This, what, he, what he did, he said, consider yourselves. And what did he call them? He said, you're weak, you were weak, you were foolish, you were low, you were despised. And then look at verse 28. He says, even the things that are not. And the Greek there, Paul is saying, to the world, you didn't even exist. That's kind of what that means. You didn't even exist. You were nothing. You feel like that sometimes in the world's eyes? You're nothing. I think what this um, does for me, it's, it's so good. It's like the gospel message is not a message of like self-help, right? To be the best version of yourself, to like clean yourself up and get your stuff together and then come to God. That's not our message at all. No, like we came to God as nothing. We didn't even exist but God, in his grace, chose to show off when he works with us nothings. Just think about it. We come to the table with God. What do we bring? If we're like doing some kind of negotiation with God. I'm like so locked in on the Chiefs right now, right? So the, the Chris Jones thing. Anyway, the guys get me. Like, what's he doing, right? It's like leaving millions of dollars on the table. He comes to the table with all kinds of stuff. What we come to the table with, with God, we bring shame, sin, brokenness, poverty. God comes to the table with this riches of grace, his holiness, wisdom, love. God works with that formula. We bring nothing. It's like we didn't even exist. We come to God. And he brings it all. He brings Christ. And because of this, we can boast. But what do we boast in? We boast in Christ. We don't boast in ourselves. We have nothing to boast in. We have nothing to boast in. I want to end tonight and just really focus in on verse 30. So look at verse 30. I'll kind of highlight different parts of it. Yeah. So because of him... You are in Christ Jesus. It's because of him. It's because of what God has done. Notice um, just before there, it starts in verse 27. Every sentence starts, but God chose. But God chose, right? Just like he's hammering it into them. Like it's because of what God has done that you are in Christ. You can't boast about this. God did this. And then the in Christ part of that. This is like one of Paul's favorite things. He talks about this in almost all of his letters. Being in Christ, what a gift. Somehow, I don't know how, I find myself in Christ because of what God has done. And so then I bring my sin and my shame and my brokenness, but because of my faith and what God has done, I'm in Christ, and now what do I get? What do I get from Christ? I get wisdom from God. That's what Christ is to me. I get righteousness. That's what I get. What a gift. I get sanctification, which what that means is God is making me better. He's making me like Jesus. I get redemption, which is my very salvation. 
This makes me think of 2 Corinthians 4. This is a beautiful verse. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I didn't put it on the screen. I'll read it again. This is um, this idea that because of him we are in Christ. God shone. Let me read it again. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so for me, it was that moment on that rooftop in Asia where God shone in my heart and he opened my heart to the reality of the gospel, that Christ died for my sin. And it totally changed my perspective on what it meant to know Jesus. It turned from like being about me and propping up my social status to just like it was all about Christ. He was not just my Lord and Savior. He was everything. He was my God. He was my all. And knowing him, God shone in my heart and knowing him became what I wanted to live for. That's when the cross became personal for me. Not just knowledge, not just something that I ascribed to because I grew up this way, became personal for me. It destroyed any value I was trying to find in myself apart from Christ. So I'm going to have the band come on up here and I just want to ask you as we wrap up this message to consider I want to ask you a lot of questions. I'm sure there's a good number of kids in here, a good number of you that grew up going to church. Maybe you can kind of relate with my story where um, you knew the role you had to play, and so you played it. And now you're here. Now you're at college, and you get to choose, right? Mom's not getting you out of bed to go to church. Mom's not making you go to youth group. Like, it's, it's up to you. Are you going to walk with God or not? And you've got all kinds of temptation. I mean, there's all kinds of open doors for you. There's probably a party on Thursday you could go to where you could experience whatever college has to offer you. There's all kinds of things here. And so I just want to ask you, like, has the cross gripped you enough to where whatever the world has to offer is just pale in comparison to Jesus. And some of you might be here and you have a foot in both worlds. You're kind of doing both things. Let me tell you, the cross is enough. Are you just using Christian involvement as like a means to your own end? Think about that. I gave some examples where you're trying to identify with things and kind of trying to look better, one-up people and talk about what you got going on. Or like me, when I came here, I was just trying to like, I just want to have fun. I just want to look good. I want people to like me. So I'll do the Christian thing. I hear they have like cute girls that go to challenge and that you can get friends there. So I'm pretty lonely. I'm going to go to challenge. I mean, what are we doing? Are we using Christian involvement for yourself? Or are you focused on Christ?
Yeah, I want to I think about this unentitled series, right? The Corinthians were like dividing because they were making it all about themselves. They were thinking about themselves. They put themselves at the center of the story. But when we live in the shadow of the cross, it's all about Jesus. And let me tell you, the, 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 the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Like there's no hierarchy there. I'm right there with you. People that have walked with God for 20 years longer than me, they're right there. We need Jesus. We need forgiveness. So yeah, I want to invite you to that tonight, to live this unentitled life. And so we're going to worship. Um, just, I just ask you to, to turn this and make it personal. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for this text and um, just how we can see so clearly that the cross is foolishness to the world, but it's power to those of us who believe. Now pray, Lord, just for everyone in this room, wherever they're at with you, wherever they're at with faith, God, I just pray that you would open our hearts to you, that we could see the cross in a new light, and that it would just be so personal to us. It would wreck our pride, wreck our wisdom that we would live lives that are so focused on you and not on ourselves. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.